Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Jenny Morton in Ōtautahi Christchurch is uh, with me this afternoon, Friday afternoon. It is wonderful to be with you today. Well, earlier today it was announced that Gisborne's water treatment system has failed in, and residents were told to stop using the water immediately. The exact cause for the failure was unknown, but silt could have overloaded the system. Council Chief Executive Nadine Thatcher-Swan said that included all water use for Gisborne City that was on the reticulated water supply. The Navy ship HMNZS Manawanui arrived in Gisborne's port, has brought some water to the city, and for the very latest we have Gisborne Mayor Riyad Stoltz on the line. Mayor Stoltz, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. And again, thank you so much for being available to us uh, on RNZ. Um, any update on water supplies uh, late afternoon? Yes, so in the last hour, um, staff and contractors were able to isolate the fault with our auxiliary treatment plant. And we have restored limited uh, capacity again back to our system, saying that there's still a very, very urgent request out to our community please conserve our water. I can say people can now drink water and flush the toilet, but we have to have use as little as possible water. Every single one of us living in Gisborne, otherwise our taps will run dry. Got it. So the key message to conserve water, you can drink, you can flush the toilet. Has it been cons- confirmed uh, if silt is to blame? No, my understanding was that there were issues with the UV treatment and that has now been resolved. So, um, but it's still, we're not out of the woods and we won't be for a long time. So everyone in Gisborne, please play your part. We can do this. Yeah, and what, what more has been done at the moment to get that water system back on the line uh, to full or as near as to full as we can get? So we've got two streams of work happening. First of all, we have our um, our normal capa- capacity coming from Wainaki where the pipes are broken. So we've got teams that cut tracks and they can reach pieces of the pipe. So that is happening and faster than we thought. And then we have our Waipoa treatment plant, which we built after Cyclone Bola, which is our auxiliary plant. And we only started up two times a year to make sure it works. And this is now um, running, but we are having some issues. So what we are saying to the community, even if we get the plant up and running, which we have for the last two days, it only gives us a quarter of the capacity we usually use. So our community need to make sure we use only a quarter of the water we usually use. All right, quarter of the water we only use. All right, Jenny, you got a thought or a question for uh, Mayor Stoltz? Um, Rahit, I'd just like to say you are doing an amazing job of communicating to your community. Um, I've heard you speaking several occasions on, on RNZ, and I just think you're very clear. Your messaging is really clear. You're very reassuring, and I think you're doing an amazing job. And I think your community um, are very lucky to have you and your team at the top leading things at a time like this. Thank you for your kind words. <laughs> That's all right. You need the encouragement because it's going to be a long haul. We know well, this. Well, indeed, it is going to be a long haul. And before you go, Ria, because you have done so many uh, interviews, can I just ask you one question? How are you? Mm. I'm fine, thank you. We've been going flat engines since the 10th of January when we had Cyclone Hail. Yeah. So our team 
We're a great team. And like I said to you before, we are a well-oiled machine because we've done it so many times now in the last 18 months. So we are also grateful for the support we receive from our neighboring councils. Staff fly in from all across the country. They come and work with us. They, they support us. The government support us. Our community are absolute champions. So I cannot complain. We are well looked after and we are a great team here in the Tairafati. No, oh, Kia ora. Lovely to speak with you, Red. Uh, thank you. Gives me Mayor Rach Stoltz there. Uh, now, just, just on that, can I just pick up on that before we um, go to our next guest, Jenny? Because um, Paula Penfold, the journalist um, on Twitter, said this, I think it was earlier today. Kudos to all these available articulate mayors mm. in affected communities working with media to show effective, calm leadership under extraordinary pressure. And that's that's a sentence that really resonated with me. I'd like to know what our listeners think of that uh, sentence. But what do you think, Jenny? Look, and, and I, I don't want to keep comparing this to what happened in Christchurch, but We'll never forget Bob Parker in his orange jacket and how he led us through uh, a really difficult time and how reassuring that was. And I'm seeing all these mayors, and as you say, they're articulate, they take the time to speak in the media, and not none of them are complaining. They're just being very clear about what they need. I heard um, Craig Little this morning from Wairoa, and he was talking about what his community needed. And I just... They are amazing. And, you know, keep your, keep your head while all about you are losing theirs. I think they've got a team around them, clearly, who are also completely under control. But they're amazing. They're amazing. And it just shows the depth of... Um, of quality that we have in some of our small local councils. Good point. Um, yeah, 12 past four, the panel on RNZ National. You keep in touch with us, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co.nz and uh, if you can, uh, online at rnz.co.nz. Now, we talked to Caroline Balbooth from Murawai just prior to four and now to Karekare, a small Coastal settlement in West Auckland, New Zealand, where homes have been hit hard by slips and access fraud. Well, Jules lives in Karakare with her young whānau. Welcome to the programme, Jules. Hi, Wallace. How are you going? Very well. More importantly, how are you? Oh, it's been a really rough week for Karakare. Mm. Um, yeah, really, really, really hard. I understand you managed to get out of uh, Karikari? Yes, we evacuated last night. Um, we've got two little ones. I've got a two-month-old baby and a two-year-old, and just we knew that the road was super compromised um, out of our house on back up to the Piha Road um, with you know several slips which are really undermining the road. And um, so we just thought we'd make the make the move to get out, and we're, we're luckily back on safer grounds. Mm. Now, I understand that supplies were a big problem, particularly around you know, baby supplies and things like that. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm just super lucky that I'm breastfeeding because we've, we've had calls for, um, I've had heaps of people messaging me for, you know, if I had formula or extra nappies and I, I usually mm. use reusables. So I was, <laughs> that was sort of very much down to my last um, number of disposable nappies, but um, was ready to get the hand washing going with the reusables and yeah, it was it's super tough um, with supplies. But we we we're pretty people in Karikara and Piha generally pretty well um, stocked with supplies, given we're so isolated. Um, so they you know a lot of the a lot of the community had 
had were pretty well stocked on that sort of stuff. Yeah, Jenny, Jenny Morton. Hi, um, look, Jules. I hope you are doing okay, and um, you know, I wish I wish we could come up there and help you. Um, is there is there practical stuff that you guys need that people can get into you? Is there anything that anyone, you know, the, the ordinary New Zealanders who are sitting here listening to this, is there something that we can do to help you? Gosh, well, the, the community are phenomenal out there. Um, we're the, we're you know we're one of the few houses and the few few families that haven't been as affected. But you know, the, the people down the valley are just absolutely. You know, it's just shattered the community, the, the the infrastructure of the community. The roads have just, and houses have just completely slipped away. Um, but they're rallying together, and they've got such an amazing spirit. And the you know, the fire services have been, the volunteer services have been working. You know, since the since Monday night without stopping, and um, they've seemed to be getting the supplies that they need in and out. Um, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're, they're getting getting what they need. What the, what do they need? I don't know what more they need, but I'm sure they'll communicate that out. Yeah. You, if you don't mind me ask, saying, Jules, you mentioned off-air, and actually our previous uh, guest in uh, Murawai said something similar, That um, and it's something I've heard a fair bit. There is just a stark difference between those who have experienced what is happening in the lights of Murawai, Piha, Karakari, just, we're just talking about the Auckland just for now, and then those who come into Auckland Central, it couldn't be more, more like night and day. Oh, unbelievable, yeah. I mean, we, we felt like we were coming out of a battle zone um, where we were coming from. And we'd just been at the community fire station where the community would gather at some of the community, just those who could access the fire station. We live quite close to it. Um, and, you know, people people, people would just start, it felt like we'd all been battered. And then coming into Auckland Central and it was like no, nothing had, you know, people were just completely oblivious to <laughs> what people on the West Coast are facing at the moment. Yeah. Well, look, stay safe, Jules, and we hope to keep in touch with you and how things are. Before we go, um, your plans for Karakari in the next uh, month or so into the, into the year? What's 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 happening? Well, we're just we're just so worried about our community, all the people who've lost their homes down the valley. I mean, we're just we really our hearts are going out to them, and um, especially to those who've. You know, across Aotearoa, we, we're regaining network over the last few days. Um, we are just realising just how lucky we are because, oh yeah, it's just incomprehensible what's been going on across the country. And so our hearts are with them. Yeah. Kia ora, Jules. Thank you. Kia ora. Thanks for your time. Kia ora. Yeah. That's uh, Jules and Karakata there. Uh, quite a bit of feedback coming in. I guess the question of the day, if you like, uh, is uh, how do you feel that mayors uh, around the country have responded to this? This is on the back of uh, a, a, a tweet, rather, by Paula Penfold. Kudos to all these mayors, articulate mayors in their communities, uh, calm leadership under extraordinary pressure. Uh, what do you make? I think a lot of people are responding to that. Uh, one here, for example, says the mayor of Gisborne, so articulate, such an asset to the people of the area. Well, the cost of the cyclone is still being counted in human lives. And in time, the economic impact will be addressed uh, of Cyclone Gabrielle. It could run into 
the billions. That's the price of the cyclone, uh, said one economics professor. It's hard to know, of course, at this stage. Finance Minister uh, Grant Robinson addressed this at an Auckland Business Chamber event today. Announcements of support uh, will be um, coming in the near future. With us is Brad Olson, the Chief Executive and Principal Economist at Infometris. Brad, welcome. Good afternoon. Um, many billions of dollars, Brad, not overestimating things there? Look, I think some of the earlier estimates I do think were probably overcooking things, but certainly uh, the gut feel is, is in, we're into the billions. Um, you know, I think the challenge at the moment is that well, there's still very little information coming out of some of those most damaged areas. Uh, there's still floodwaters in a number of places. We're still in the response mode. We haven't moved to recovery yet. Uh, and I think for the moment, the focus is on getting as much support into the communities that need it before we start counting the cost. But there is going to be a substantial cost. Importantly, New Zealand's up for the challenge. We've got the money uh, available, if you will. We were always saving it for the challenges that we face. Now that another one has hit us, we're going to have to dip into the piggy bank. Yeah, OK, so Grant Robinson says that our levels of net debt are low compared to the rest of the world. So even with such uh, an event, uh, there is fiscal headroom to move? Absolutely. We are good for it. Uh, we know that our net debt position uh, is substantially lower than most other parts of the world. Uh, we're sort of sitting around, I think, the 31% mark net debt to GDP. Uh, we know that, you know, you look across to the likes of the US, they're well over 100%. You look at the UK, they're at about 100%. Even Australia's, uh, from memory, a bit higher than us. So, uh, look, it's the sort of thing you don't want to have to spend the money. But importantly, the government's made a very strong signal already that it, it is going to, it has to, back New Zealand to get back on its feet. Uh, but this is going to be difficult at a time when the economy is already stretched. It's difficult to find resources. It's difficult to find people. So it's expensive not only in terms of the economic costs, but in the time scale that it might take to get some of these communities back up and running. Okay. Um, Jenny? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. We are fortunate in this country that we have got that room for our government to borrow. But also we have to look at this from a household level. And we are hearing, you know, lots of reports of people not having insurance or, you know, how long is it going to take for insurance to come through for people to rebuild their homes, uh, repurchase cars, you know, get their lives going again. And so while the government can afford it, we also have to think about people just in their homes um, and what it's going to mean for them. Yeah, uh, Brad. Oh, absolutely right. And, uh, you know, the, the challenge, of course, I've already started to hear from, uh, you know, people in the know, if you will, that are suggesting that just, again, because of the supply chain uh, issues and the sheer amount of work that's going to have to be done, what happens if you have some of those houses out there in Hawke's Bay, for example, they might be structurally sound, but they need new carpets, uh, but they could be, uh, you know, 12 months away, perhaps, mm. from getting everything completely back up and running. Uh, the concern as well, I think, is not only for those who don't have insurance, but some of the agricultural operations. You can't uh, insure and mm. very quickly get back up and running a plant of, or crop of uh, apple trees or grapevines. That sort of stuff takes quite a bit of time. It's not yeah. very easy to insure at all. So there are a lot of, uh, I think, disruptions coming through that will hit us not only on the balance sheet and our finances, but gosh, it's going to be hard to get New Zealand apples over the next uh, wee while. That Hawke's Bay 
supplies 65% of all of them, so there are much wider mm. uh, shops as well. Well, it so yeah. happens we are going to be talking about agriculture in about 60 seconds' time, Brad. But just finally, um, will this necessitate quite a budget rewrite? I mean, it's been drawn up. It's released for May. I, I think the government does have some real challenges ahead of it. The question becomes at this point, uh, what do they do? Do they expand the size of the budget? Remembering again that they've only just finished trying to reprioritise some spending so that they're not biting off more than they can chew? Uh, or do they do? Or do they have to undertake further reprioritisation to make sure that the recovery from the cyclone is top of mind? And they might well have to very deliberately say, look, some of the buildings, some of the construction and infrastructure that the government's trying to achieve across the country, that has to be put on a very deliberate hold so that the money, the people, the resources can go to the areas that need it most. All right, good on you, Brad. Thank you. That's Brad Olson there, the Chief Executive and Principal Economics Economist rather, at Infometrics. Now, uh, by the way, we uh, talked with Gisborne Mayor Rehed Stoltz uh, at the top of the hour just regarding the water situation and um, just confirming there that... Uh, Grisman residents now can uh, drink water and flush their toilets, but please conserve water because it's running at uh, 25%, I think uh, Rahit said there. So um, conservation is top of mind, but water is available to drink in Gisborne. 24 past four, you're on the panel with me and uh, Jenny Morton, the wonderful Jenny Morton, who I haven't <laughs> had for some time, so it's just uh, quite quite special to have you back, Jenny. Uh, so the floods, as we heard there, the floods have ruined orchards, vineyards, crops, and it's looking pretty grim when it comes to just how to feed surviving livestock. With us is sometime panellist and also president of the Ferrate Farmers, Andrew Hoggart. Andrew, welcome. Good afternoon, Wallace. I was reading about the impact of um, silt and pastures. Hello? This is, this is all just overwhelming, isn't it? Are you there, Andrew? We'll get you back. Uh, Andrew Hoggard will, Hoggard will will be with us on a clearer line. We'll get him back there. Can I just bring something up, Jenny, uh, while I uh, am with you and waiting for Andrew? And it's something that you mentioned because quite a few people have brought this up. I wanted to raise it with you that next week is the anniversary of the Christchurch quakes. And some of these issues, particularly around connectivity and lack of. Um, we covered the quakes, and one thing that stuck out was um, buildings smashing all around you, but you don't know how to connect your, with your loved one. Some of these issues are really recurring for us, aren't they? Look, yes, they are. And I will never forget that um, the night of the February 22nd earthquake, I we, were, we, we got our power back on that evening and we were on, uh, lots of people were on Facebook trying to connect with, with friends and check that everyone was all right. And I made the comment that I didn't know if one of our friends was okay because he worked in the PGG building. And a friend who was in Sydney came on and she said, it's okay, I've seen him on the Sky News over here helping get people out the building. And... It, it, I'll never forget that, that we did use things like Facebook to connect and make sure that everyone was uh, okay and accounted for. Um, unfortunately, one of our friends wasn't, and um, she was in the CTV building. But you really, that that is the most important thing. That is the first thing you do is you reach out 
for your people, for your loved ones, for your friends, and you just want to know that they're okay. And I imagine to not have power and to not have cellular service, it must have, and, and to be in these isolated areas, people must have yeah. felt so scared and so alone. It's just awful, awful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got some uh, um, feedback coming through. It appears, oh no, here we go. Don't forget uh, Bethel's Beach, uh, which has also been hammered. They seem to have slipped below the radar, but have suffered it dreadfully too. Cheers. We've got uh, a couple of minutes before the end of uh, to 4.30. Have you got an I've been thinking for us, Jenny? I did have an I've been thinking, um, Wallace, but I don't want to talk about it because it just seems mm. trite and insignificant. Good on you. I, I want to say... I, like like so many people around the country, have just been thinking about the poor people affected by this dreadful weather event. It's just, it's extraordinary. And when you're, when you're sitting in bright sunshine in Christchurch, it does seem very removed. Um, and, and, and it's hard to relate to just how tough these people are doing it. But we, we are thinking of them and they're in our Thank hearts you. and... New Zealand's a country where we can be there for one another, oh, and I think you, we Jenny. can try so hard. I, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, now, uh, Andrew, welcome. <laughs> yes, sorry about that. No, a, no, no problems. Uh, I was just, uh, I was just thinking. I, I was reading about just the, uh, just the enormous loss of pasture. This must be all so overwhelming for you. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of can seem very overwhelming for farmers when you have a. a situation like this and I, I guess from my own personal experience and although I probably haven't been through something as bad as that but it's uh, you just got to take it one bite at a time and work sure. out priorities and work through it um, but yeah it, it will be challenging for many months to come for a lot of farmers if not longer. And the priority is here's the deal even if livestock has survived the issue now is getting feed to them it can be. Um, it depends on the farm. Often, some of the challenges might actually be water as a priority because if you've got no power and you're sending the water all around the paddocks via troughs and you, you need your pumps going. Um, so that could actually be the key thing. And also, it could be that you've lost fences and you don't have any way of controlling the animals. Um, so it's sort of rebuilding the fences, being able to contain them. Right. And then, you know, utilise what grass you do have, unless you've been completely wiped out. Um, and then hopefully once we're able to get for those, there, there will be some farms that are really in desperate need of um, feed. And hopefully once we're able to sort the access out, we will be able to get that feed to them. Yeah, got it. Jenny? Um, Andrew, I've also heard that, you know, anyone who's dairy farming, um, you know, they haven't been able to milk their cows without power and therefore the cows have now gone dry after, you know, three or four days of not being milked. That's that's going to impact on livelihoods because normally they would get another two or three months out of the cows before they went dry in May, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, normally you milk through to um, mid-May. Um, I mean, I know from personal experience in 2004, um, neighbours that were without power for about three, four days here, um, that's sort of the edge of it, um, that you can sort of get back in and milking. Uh, but longer than that, then, you know, they are going to start drying themselves off. And 
yeah, it's, it'll be a challenge. Right. Um, I just guess topic, just topic in here, so just another update, uh, team. Another person has died in floodwaters, mm-hmm. uh, taking the national toll from Cyclone Gabriel to eight. Uh, the police are investigating the fatality at Pukitapu near Napier. Just finally, before you go, Andrew, um, have you had issues with contacting other farmers? Yeah, so um, particularly in the Gisborne, East Coast region, I know there's a rural hub working there. One of our board members, Sandra Faulkner, is leading that, and they know they've got a whole bunch of farmers that they can't contact, um, but they are working on getting... They, they know where they are, and they're working on establishing um, contact with them. So, yeah, there's still a few people that we, we haven't mean, managed to get in touch with just yet. Nice to have you on, Andrew. Kia ora. That's uh, Andrew Howard up there, the president of uh, Federated Farmers. You're on, on the panel on RNZ National. Please keep in touch. 2101. It's time for headlines.